Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, please. Uh, We're going to be all over this map today. But if you need a placeholder, you can start in Psalm 145. Psalm 145 Beginning in verse three, we'll get there in just a moment. But first, I have to tell you about something that happened a few months ago. I go to CVS to pick up a, a new razor. You know, mine's on the blink. I know you don't believe I shave, but I do. It takes a lot of work to look this messy, okay? So I go to CVS, and the product that I need is on the bottom shelf of this very narrow aisle. So I go up to it and I I squat down to read the products. I'm studying the prices, looking at what the features are on each one. And And I notice, just sitting here like Johnny Bench, I notice this woman comes in the aisle and needs to pass. When I look at her, she is clearly more mature than I am, <laughs> older than I am. She, just take my word, I'm trying to be kind when I say that she was my elder. So when I saw her coming, I very quickly, oh, excuse me, began to stand up and back up to give her way. And she said to me, oh, no, 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 honey, don't, don't get up from there. At our age, it's not as easy anymore. <laughs> I'm walking out of this store the other day and hands are full and this guy, older guy, holds the door open for me. I say, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. He said, well, at our age, we got to look out for each other. <laughs> like, what is happening? I mean, I know that we all get to a place at some point in the journey when we are over the hill, but, but, you know, but when you're cresting the hill, you can see both sides of it for a minute. And when you're up there, I hear the words of the hymn. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all her sons away. They fly forgotten as the dream dies at the opening day. Time is flying by faster these days. Somebody just grunted. I think that was an amen. (laughs) It seems the older I get, the, the time passes more quickly than it used to pass. Like the little girl who went to see her great-grandmother and her great-grandmother had a friend over and she said, hey, little girl, do you know how old I am? I'm, I'm 98 years old. And the little girl said, wow. She said, did you like, like start at one or? <laughs> it just rolls fast. Think about when you're four years old and you're waiting for Christmas to get around all year long and it seems like it takes forever or your birthday because at four years old, The span of a year comprises 
one-fourth of your lived experience. It's a quarter of your life thus far. But when you're 84, it's only a sliver. It's one-eighty-fourth of your lived experience. Time moves on. And it reminds me of the lyrics of a song from uh, Five for Fighting called 100 Years. The lyrics of it speak to me because they speak to the, the experience of this fleeting life that we have. And at different points in the journey, we experience shifts. Listen to these words. I'm 15 for a moment. Caught between 10 and 20, and I'm just dreaming, counting the ways to where you are. I'm 22 for a moment, and she feels better than ever, and we're on fire, making our way back from Mars. 15, there's still time for you, time to buy and time to lose. 15, there's never a wish better than this when you've only got a hundred years to live. I'm 33 for a moment. I'm still the man, but you see, I'm a they, a kid on the way, babe, a family on my mind. I'm 45 for a moment. The sea is high, and I'm headed into a crisis, chasing the years of my life. 15 There's still time for you, time to buy and time to lose yourself within a morning star. 15, I'm all right with you. 15, there's never a wish better than this when you've only got 100 years to live. See, half time goes by. Suddenly, you're wise. Another blink of the eye, 67 is gone. The sun is getting high. We're moving on. I'm 99 for a moment. And dying just for another moment. And I'm just dreaming, counting the ways to where you are. 15, there's still time for you. 22, I feel hurt too. 33, you're on your way. Every day's a new day. 15, there's still time for you. Time to buy and time to choose. Hey, 15, there's never a wish better than this. When you've only got 100 years to live. And here we are in this sermon series about how to be human. And maybe one of the most poignant things we can say to remind ourselves in this journey of humanness is that our species comes with an expiration date. And what we do from the time that we begin our first breath until we give it back to the one who loaned it to us matters. What will you do with the few breaths you have in between? I want to talk a little bit about that because that could put some fear in somebody's heart. Maybe you think about the fleeting nature of the journey that we're making and it fills you with a bit of dread or uncertainty or maybe frustration or anger or maybe, maybe It fills you with an exhilaration of hope because you realize that this day is fragile and soon it will end. And when it has vanished, it will not come again. So let us love with a love pure and true. 
until this day is through. I want to talk for just a moment about what it means to love pure and true with us, this church family that we call home. I want to talk specifically in one particular area because I don't know if you've noticed lately, but any given Sunday morning when we show up at this place, there are at least five distinct generations gathering on the same campus at the same time, at least. Five different generations. You saw some of them up here on the stage today. And you know what's curious to me? We have hardly anything in common. I mean, we don't listen to the same music. We don't wear the same styles of clothes. We, we don't laugh at the same jokes, believe me. <laughs> what works in one room may not work in the next. What works in one pew may not work in the one behind you. We have different ways of seeing the world, different ways of entering the world, different ways to orient what it means to be human with each other. We have different ways among the generations of how to navigate technology and the proficiency with which we use our phones. And we even have different ways to define and practice community with each other. Yet, despite all of the differences that gap us, there is something that unifies us that is more beautiful than I have words to express. Because in us and around us and between us is the power of God's transformational love. And regardless what generation you claim to be your own, you and I have a, a distinct vantage point. This church family has at least five distinct lines of sight to what it looks like to be loved by God, to what it feels like to be repaired by God rescued by God and each of us as we nuance our way through the human journey because we're in this generation and the other and I just don't understand that group yeah well we don't understand you either despite all the differences there's something unifying about the transformational power of God and here's what I mean every Sunday when you come in here the oldest among us you some of you know what it's like to have buried most of your friends and how to sp spend a, a lazy afternoon daydreaming about seeing them once more. And you know the kind of prayer that you pray at times. Why do you let me linger when everyone I've loved has moved on? But you not only know the hurt that comes from that experience, you know the hope it comes from a relationship with a God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. And those of you who are just now entering retirement, you know the hurt and the hope that outside of these walls, the world is filled with people like you who got to retirement thinking it was going to be one way and, and having to navigate the disappointment of the actual way that it is. You know what it feels like to be that kind of frustrated but at the same time, you know the hope that the one who brought you through the previous seasons that you doubted will bring you through this season. And those of you who are in the working years 
man, you're just trying to make it. You're just trying to push it through. You need to know, you know both the hurt and the hope as well. Outside of these walls, the world is filled with people who are just as existentially exhausted as you are, who are headed into the same crisis. Is this it? I mean, is this, what, is this everything? Is there not more to life? Have I made the right choice? You know that hurt, but you also know the hope that the God who brought you through the troubled waters will bring you through to the dry ground. You know this. And those of you who are graduating high school or in college or beyond, you know that strange mixture of exhilaration and fear of the unknown. And you have classmates and friends and loved ones going through the same thing. You know the hurt, but you also know the hope that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. See, something happens in a multi-generational church that can't happen anywhere else on the planet. We gather in here with our distinct generational experiences and we bring in all of our unique hurts, but together we share a common hope that the God of the ages can do something with us regardless where we are in the journey, regardless what we have or don't have, where we thought we'd be or where we ended up. In short, what I'm telling you is that we have a story to tell to the nations that will turn their hearts to the right. It's a story of truth and mercy. It's a story of peace and light. And the darkness shall turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright and God's good kingdom shall come on earth. The kingdom of love and light. This is what we gather in order to affirm every time we gather, all five or six generations of us, that the God of the ages is doing something in us that is not yet complete and is tugging us forward together. And the greatest responsibility we have is to make sure one generation speaks to the next generation, who speaks to the next generation about the mighty saving works of God. If we speak to one another about the one thing we have in common, then it not only allows us to abide the differences and the gaps, it allows us to delight in them because it's the same God. Do you know that this is why in Scripture the Bible is saturated with mandate after mandate for one generation to tell the next, to keep proclaiming the goodness of God, to keep bearing witness to the love and mercy of God. In Psalm 145, we hear it this way, great is the Lord and, and most worthy of praise is greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another they tell of your mighty acts. And then, of course, again in Psalm 100, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. His mercy, according to Luke, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Then back in Psalms again, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And in Daniel, we read these words, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. 
His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then finally in Deuteronomy, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Beloved, the only way that our species will have any hope at all, the only way that our children and their children's children will have any hope for a life of purpose and meaning and value and love the only hope for a thousand generations is for the church of today to live up to and into our high calling to show our children, the next generation, what it means to fall in love with a God who is crazy about them already. So how do we do that? How do we raise up a generation to know and love the Lord because we have some challenges. The stakes are really high. You've heard me talk before in many, many sermons about the daunting statistics that are out there, the disturbing rates at which uh, some generations are leaving the institutional expressions of faith. We've talked about the millennials and the Gen Z's, and we talked about how in droves they, in many ways, are leaving the institutional expressions of faith. Not that they are not hungry for mystery. Not that they are not desiring something transcendent. Not that they are not looking for something holy and spiritual and meaningful. For many, they have experienced from churches a demonstration of faith that did more damage than good. And all of the people who study us, Barna, Gallup, Pew, Public Religion Research Institute, all of them say the same thing. They're leaving for a variety of the same patterns of reasons because the churches that they have experienced are so anti-everything anti-science, anti-gay, anti-dialogue, anti-intellectual, anti-anti, that everywhere they have experienced an anti-everything in church instead of demonstrating to them what the church is for, for wholeness, for love, for beauty, for grace, for redemption, for salvation. And so out of all of the reasons that we are given why a whole generation may be leaving the church. The most compelling to me is this. They say that they are leaving because the church is too safe. We do everything we can to make sure we have programs that are well-run, well-organized, happy, so that the kids are happy about coming to church. We want them happy about getting up and getting dressed to go to church in the morning, so let's keep the kids happy and, and satisfied and comfortable. And these kids are growing up and saying, hey, yeah, thanks for that. But I think we got it from here because it's not compelling enough. Now, I'm going to say more about that next week. 
when I have my seniors who are graduating sitting down here so I can look in their eyes and talk to them about a fire that God is igniting in their hearts that need to be fanned into flame. But that's next week, not today. Today suffice it to say this. If we think in our multi-generational church that a whole generation is being lost, it's not because they have a certain higher degree of lostness than the rest of us. It is because generations before them have failed at demonstrating to them that nothing could be more compelling than surrendering your life to the way of Jesus, to giving your life over to the transformational love of God as found in the person of Jesus. So if we are going to rescue and, and share the, the story of God saving love with the next generation, it, it's going to require something on our part. We often make good use of Proverbs 22. We speak about Proverbs 22 this way, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. I mean, that works well on baby dedication day. That looks good on cross-stitched on the pillow. It's really true. But if we really appreciated the strength of that verse, we'd understand that the Hebrew has more intensity to it. What it actually really means is raise up this unique, peculiar, particular, individual, one-of-a-kind child. In the unique, particular, individual, one-of-a-kind kind of way that they should go. And when this unique, individual, one-of-a-kind, distinct child is old, they will not depart from it. And I think the same thing can be said, not just about individual children we are raising, but about the whole generation that comes after us and after them and after them. Raise up a generation, a unique generation. I just don't understand them. They don't, they don't talk the way we talk. They don't dress the way we dress. They're not funny. They think they're funny, but they're not funny. They... I don't get them. It's okay. It's okay. Because they don't get you. But that's not what the proverb says. It doesn't say raise up a child who you completely understand and whose journey you have complete control over. No. Raise up a generation who is unique and distinct and sometimes hard to understand and individualistic and one of a kind. Raise them up in the way they should go. And then when they are old, they will not depart from it. So how do you do that? Here's how. We raise up a generation in the way they should go, not by simply teaching them what to believe, but by teaching them how to believe. How to believe. Now, what to believe is important. It's important to teach them what to believe. Without a what, there is no foundation. Without a foundation, they're going to build their house on sand. There has to be some what. And we got to teach them what the what is. I love the ancient Hebrew tradition of teaching children the Hebrew letters. And they would write the words of the, the law of the Lord on this tablet in chalk. And then the teacher would drizzle it in honey. And they would lick the honey clean associating that the word of the Lord is as sweet as honey on the lips. We kind of do that because on the way to Sunday school, I saw Pastor Annie with three boxes of chocolate donuts. <laughs> I did, really. But the what is important. Yes, we need to teach them what 
They need to know the scriptures. They need to know how it's ordered, how it's structured. They need to know the content. They need to know what to believe in terms of this earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Sometimes we teach them what to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes we teach them what to believe. For we are saved by grace through faith. And it is not of our own works. It is the doing of God so that none of us may boast. Yeah, sometimes we teach them what to believe. If you see a hungry person, you feed them. Thirsty, you give them drink. A stranger, you welcome them in. Sometimes, yes, we teach them what. Sometimes we teach them what. To have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who although was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Yeah, sometimes we teach them what to believe. But what to believe is not enough. They must learn how to believe. We have to teach our generation coming after us how to navigate the waters when the waters are so turbulent they just want to get out of the boat and swim. How to navigate the troubled waters of faith when everything they've been told is now confronting everything they're seeing with their own eyes. We need to teach them how you can hold two things in the heart at the same time. You can have faith and you can have doubt. We need to teach them how to take everything their mom and dad taught them about Jesus, everything the pastor told them about God. And when they are confronted by life that questions it, we need to teach them how to question it and how even in some cases to change their mind on what they thought they believed without throwing the baby away with the bathwater. See, we need to teach them how to do this. And, the, and the, 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 the healthiest, strongest way that we teach them how is for them to stop looking at their watch. Because it's 12 o'clock and your pastor knows. <laughs> but I need you to stay with me for a moment on this good day. Because do you know how we pass on to the generation that comes after us? A way to raise them uniquely in the way that generation needs to go by teaching them how to ask, seek, and knock. To ask, seek, and knock. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospels, Matthew chapter 7, ask and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and all who seek find, and to any who knock, the door will fling open. But the words in that text are more intense than we think they are. They convey an ongoing action. It's as if Jesus is saying, the way of faith is this. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. When your throat is scratchy from asking so much and your feet are weary from seeking out so much and your knuckles are bruised from knocking so hard on the door, keep on knocking. Because this is the way of faith. And the trouble is most of us when we get older... We become less comfortable with ambiguity, less comfortable with asking questions. We're more comfortable with the answers, with certitudes, 
We're not comfortable with fuzzy edges around anything. And so our children come with very good questions, and instead of wondering with them and stoking their curiosity, their God-given wonder about life, we give them answers. Instead of learning the power of three words, I don't know. I don't know. In order to raise a generation, especially this unique particular generation, in the way they should go, we must learn to abide ambiguity, to teach them that the way of faith is to keep on asking and keep on knocking, keep on seeking. And the better, the better treasure to find is not the answer to the question, but the question that leads to a deeper walk in God. In the ninth century, you remember the Peregrini. Three Christians, Celtic Christians, get in a boat with no oars and no sail and no rudder, and they push off to sea, and they have enough provisions for three days, but they last for over a week. It's a miracle of God. They end up on the south of England at Cornwall. They take these three Celtic Christians to King Alfred, who asks them, who are you and where have you come from? And they say, we stole away because we wanted simply for the love of God to be on a pilgrimage and we cared not where. Our children need to grow up in this church and they need to learn it here at this church that the way of faith is to be on pilgrimage, that you are not in charge of this journey. You can't predict its ending, but you have some good company on the way. That's how we raise up a child, to teach them how to ask and seek and knock. And this particular generation is actually ready for that. They are more comfortable with ambiguity and open-ended questions than the rest of us. But the question is, how confident are you in abiding a little elasticity in their, their church? How you've heard of neuroplasticity, the, the science of keeping your brain functioning and keeping your brain challenged and open. I'm calling for a little theoplasticity. A little theoplasticity. But Sean, if, you, if you're too open... If we're, if we're too loose with this, then what will our children believe? How can you if, you, if you leave the lid open too long, all their faith will spill out. Yeah, and it'll get everywhere. Do you, do you know that it all comes down to whether or not we believe in the resurrection? Is he raised or is he not raised? If Christ be raised, raised indeed, as we proclaimed a couple of weeks ago at Easter, then he wasn't just raised in the first century on that third day. He wasn't just raised on that great getting up morning one time for all time. He was, theologically speaking, raised one time for all time. But he is risen in every age. In every age, Christ continues to reveal his risen body to the world and to each new generation in a way that that, e that new generation can perceive and understand and comprehend and recognize the resurrection. Every time we read about the scriptures revealing that he is raised, the risen body of Christ is seen in people. Mary thought it was a gardener. Nope. The, the travelers to Emmaus thought it was just a stranger. Mm -mm. 
If this generation is to grow up in a church where they retain their faith, it will not be simply because of what we taught them, but it's because of, it will be because of how we taught them to look for the risen Christ in the world around them, in your faces and mine. Don't forget what Teresa of Avila said. Teresa says, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet with which he blesses and uh, yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands and yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes and yours are his body. Christ has no body but yours. Now, what's the point of the whole sermon here? To all the generations in this church, my word is this. If we are to raise another generation of children who are in love with the Christ who is in love with them, it will only be because they see his risenness in you. What will you do about that? Is his aliveness so evident in you that they see something compelling enough to follow? Now, I'm going to end this sermon in somewhat of a non-conventional way. You know that we have needs in this church. Our children's ministry is growing. Not only are new children coming into our community and into our church, but some of you people keep having babies. Happy Mother's Day. And our needs are increasing. You know what would be interesting? If we had access to like a big screen where we could put like, a, like an email address. You know, like, like we have this children's pastor and how interesting would it be if, if her email address just suddenly appeared on the screen like right now? And how interesting would it be if sitting right where you are, you pulled your phone out right now and sent her a one-sentence line that says, I'm in, what do you need? I mean, just hypothetically speaking, what if even while I'm saying this to you, I agree to not end the service <laughs> until phones are pulled out, but you know where I'm going. If Christ be raised, he be raised in you. And if the generation that we hope will come up in that faith is to come up in that faith, that generation must see the aliveness of Christ in you, changing diapers, reading stories, uh, telling the old stories in Sunday school class, volunteering, making the crafts, teaching, loving, being present. We need you to help us raise a generation in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Amen.